It's the world's greatest super friends, Batman and Robin, Superman, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, the Wonder Twins, banded together to protect the universe from the forces of evil, the Super Friends. Man of Scream. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest. Super friends. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 124 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode is going to bring us to the end of my coverage of the World's Greatest Super Friends, the fall 1979 season, also known as season 4. And I'm going to complete my coverage of this season with the episodes The Super Friends Meet Frankenstein and The Planet of Oz. Well, after this, another season of Super Friends in the books. Kind of hard to believe that, you know, after the uh, the length um, of previous seasons, most of which have been uh, about 16 episodes, taking eight episodes each to cover, and up until this season, everything was an hour long, so it just seems like I blew through this season awfully quickly. And we're going to have another format change when I begin coverage of uh, what we're going to call season five, but I'll talk a little a little bit about that on the next episode. But before I get into my completion of the world's greatest Super Friends season, and I do believe that going forward we're going to continue to continue to still call it the world's greatest Super Friends. There's uh, while there will be a format change for at least the 1980 and 1981 seasons, I don't believe the name of the show changes per se. So, so before I get into completing my coverage of the fall 1979 season, as usual, feedback to address, and of course this feedback is coming from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 113, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Even if these cartoons seem to be running out of steam a bit, there are still some good moments in them, I think. The Western space villain Capricorn Kid in Batman, Dead or Alive, is similar in concept to Terror Man, a foe of Superman in the comics. Terror Man had been introduced in 1972, but I guess the producers didn't have the rights to that villain, so they created a slightly different version much like using Black Vulcan rather than Black Lightning. In Fairy Tale of Doom, I wonder if the quote-unquote flaw in Toyman's device is that the heroes would have 12 hours to escape the storybooks before being permanently trapped, rather than being trapped immediately. Anyway, I like the plot device of putting the Super Friends into stories that we're all familiar with. The Battle of the Gods gives us a good view of the Greek gods as childish, jealous, impetuous as they are in many of the old myths, but they're obviously powerful enough to bend the Super Friends to their whims, which makes them more dangerous than they appear to be. I know it's unlikely in a kid's cartoon of this era, but I would have liked to have seen the story play up that element of danger a little bit more. Doomsday finally gives us something I've been waiting for since the Legion of Doom first appeared. Villains fighting among themselves, leading to their ultimate defeat. Up to this point in the series, the Legion of Doom, particularly with their formal meetings chaired by Lex Luthor, have seemed to be kind of like the Kiwanis, just with plans for world domination. Not to disrespect the Super Friends and the Legion of Doom, but I'm eagerly awaiting October, and your coverage of Superman the movie. Live long and prosper, Dave. And as always, Dave, thank you for writing in. I'd encourage just about any of the rest of you to write in, manascreen at gmail.com. And I'll be honest, it's been so long since the episode in which I covered these episodes, I barely remember them. 
But it's kind of interesting that Dave's letter shows up in this week's episode when Dave refers to the Toy Man's uh, device that will transport the uh, Super Friends through familiar storybooks. That's kind of like what's going to happen in the second episode I'm going to coverage this week, as uh, Mr. Mixias Pitalik, or Mixoplik, as he's called in the Super Friends, kind of puts uh, Aquaman, Superman, and Wonder Woman through the Wizard of Oz paces. So, like I said, just a little bit of serendipity that Dave's comments appeared in this episode. I really don't have anything to add on Dave's comments about the Battle of the Gods and uh, Doomsday. Dave likes to see the villains fighting amongst themselves, leading to their ultimate defeat. So Dave likes the 70s and early 80s cartoon version of the villains. I guess one of my complaints about those cartoons is that the villains defeat themselves irregardless of the heroes. One of the biggest uh, offenders in that area, if you ask me, was Thundercats, in which Mumra and the mutants would often fight amongst themselves and uh, kind of cost themselves victory. And it got so bad to the point when they introduced the Lunatics in Season 2 that it actually became a plot point that they couldn't work together, and that's why they would always lose. So I like uh, my villains to be a little more competent, and uh, I feel the hero's victory is that much more grander and epic if they overcome an equal threat. You very rarely see an equal threat in kids' cartoons of this era, but it would have been nice to have seen it. <laughs> I found I kind of laughed when... Uh, Dave compared the Legion of Doom to the uh, Kiwanis. For those of you who are uh, unfamiliar with the uh, Kiwanis, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know a lot about it, but uh, it's uh, one of those uh, basic community service organizations, kind of like the uh, Rotary Club and uh, the Lions Club are just uh, a couple that spring to mind. It's a, a group of that nature. I'm sure there are subtle differences between all of them, but like I said, it's basically a uh, community service type of organization. Now, Dave's letter was pretty straightforward. I really don't have a ton to add to it. You know, the Super Friends kind of like that. So I'm going to take a uh, quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with the Super Friends and meet Frankenstein. Hang around, folks. The Fantastic House is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover each issue spin-off guest appearance and cameo of Marvel's first family. And in 2019, we begin our journey through the neon decade, the 1980s. Join us as we cover... All-time classic runs from John Byrne and Walt Simonson. She-Hulk and Sharon Ventura join the Fantastic Four. The Invisible Girl No More, here comes The Invisible Woman. Spin-off series including Marvel 2-in-1 and The Thing. Marvel's Secret Wars, The Trial of Reed Richards, and more. Find us at thefantasticast.com on iTunes and all other podcast services. The Fantasticast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? All right, welcome back, folks. I'm, I'm going to launch right into this week's coverage with the Super Friends Meet Frankenstein, or as they say in the episode, Frankenstein. Let's see if I keep remembering to say it properly. I guess we'll have to see as we go forward. Original broadcast date was November 3rd, 1979, so four days after Halloween, which makes this kind of appropriate. If I was scheduling this kind of thing, I would try to do it before Halloween, but, you know, to each their own, I suppose. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Batman and Robin respond to an alert. Give it up, Gleek. If monkeys were meant to fly, they'd have wings. Either that, or they'd have sense enough to take flying lessons. It's the trouble alert. Super friends, you must come quickly. A horrible monster is ravaging Transylvania. According to the description, it sounds just like the one Bertha... Oh, no! No! Great, Hera. 
It looks like Dredsylvania is in big trouble. Robin and I'll handle it. Right, Batman. The Bat-Jet is all ready. Although they stop the monster in Frankenstein's castle, the doctor catches them. He transfers most of Batman's mental abilities into a new monster. Robin escapes and summons Superman and Wonder Woman. It's the Bat Emergency Frequency. Switching on the satellite booster. Superman, Wonder Woman, we need help and fast. Dr. Frankenstein has got Batman. It may already be too late. Turn on your Justice League homing device and stay right where you are. We're on our way. The two heroes fight the second monster but are captured. Their abilities are transferred to a new monster, which Dr. plans to use for attacking Europe. That should hold you for a while, handsome. Quick, we've got to get out of here and stop that super monster. We can't, Robin. We have no powers. No powers? That's right, Robin. Most of my mental faculties have been drained into the monster. He has my strength and super abilities. He's got my magic lasso and bracelets, as well as my telepathic powers. Holy helplessness! We've got to do something! But what? At an Austrian science lab. We have the technology to help you, Robin, but it is far too dangerous. Our physio-energy converter can transfer the energy from one person to another, but it has only been tested on animals. With all of Europe in danger, this seems like a pretty good time to give it its first test on humans. I'm afraid you do not understand. It could be deadly. I think it's you who don't understand, Dr. Sims. We're going to use it. Ready, Dr. Pella. We are going to drain the remaining energy of the Super Friends into your body, Robin. If it works, you should have enough strength to stop that super monster. Brace yourself, Robin. I'm switching the power on. The powered Robin tries stopping the monster, but eventually must use kryptonite to weaken it. With the monster stopped, the Doctor is captured, and the powers are transferred back. It sure is good to have our power and abilities back. I don't know, Wonder Woman. I kind of like being able to fly like Superman. Speaking of flying, has anyone seen Gleep lately? Alright, so, like I mentioned uh, when I talked about the date, it was fortunate for uh, the producers of the show. I, I imagine they scheduled this episode when they did on purpose, so that it felt close to Halloween. I'm not sure why they didn't do it the week before, because when you watch these episodes, it doesn't really matter what sequence you watch them in, because terror at 20,000 fathoms doesn't necessarily make a good halloween theme episode like this one does so it really could have fallen on either side of the holiday i am personally of the mind that if you want to do a uh, holiday themed episode and this is not really a, ho- a halloween episode but the super friends chasing a frankenstein monster is a good episode to have around halloween well it ties in with the holiday without actually being part of the holiday in that case, then, I probably would have aired it, if I were in charge of such things, probably would have aired this before Halloween. I mean, it's always weird when, like, a Christmas show or something comes out after Christmas. I released my A Christmas Carol episode after midnight on December 26th, so I felt really strange about releasing it toward the end of the holiday and in the wee hours of the next morning. Basically, what happened was I just couldn't finish it in time, but even then, I was hoping to be able to release that episode on Christmas Day, but for various reasons, that didn't happen, So, but I didn't want it to sit on it, so that's why I released it, but it did kind of bother me that I didn't get that out before Christmas, because I felt any time you tie a episode or anything into a holiday, you should really do it either before or on the holiday. That was neither. So, moving on into the episode... The scene is set almost immediately. The mood is set by the weather. Frankenstein's castle is on a mountain, and 
it's rainy, thunderstorm. You know, as Snoopy would type, it was a dark and stormy night. And Dr. Frankenstein is a mustache twirling villain. He is a descendant of Frankenstein. I guess Mary Shelley's story did actually exist in this world. That's the beauty of a cartoon. You put a monster in there and it can have always existed. And he uh, brings the monster to life the, the same way his grandfather did. I believe the show said he this was the original Dr. Frankenstein's grandson. So here he is with his own monster. And you really don't need the name of the episode. And if you have any idea what Frankenstein's monster looks like, you can see it laying on the table. The uh, big, tall, greenish monster with the two bolts on its neck. So we've got some electric shocks and the monster is coming to life. We can see it being charged by the animated blue glow around it. So, I mean, I don't know if that really exists in that world, but it's just a nice visual aid for the viewer. So now the monster stands up, and somehow Dr. Frankenstein knows that it's more powerful than the previous version because, I don't know, nothing really shows us that this monster is all-powerful. It just gets up and lumbers, and, you know, it walks in that zombie-like fashion, you know, arms out, hands up, pointing down. You know the pose. So... Frankenstein unleashes the monster on Transylvania. Yeah, we've been here before, remember? Remember the uh, Dracula episode from the previous season? But where it was a dark and stormy night at Frankenstein's castle on the other side of the world, it is nice and sunny at the Hall of Justice. And everyone is doing their thing. Uh, Batman and Robin are working on the Batjet, while Superman and Wonder Woman are standing around. I don't know, maybe they're playing a game on the, on the uh, main view screen or something. There is a no sign of Aquaman, and there will not be a, a sign of Aquaman in this episode, nor will there be one of the Wonder Twins, as uh, they are visiting Atlantis with Aquaman. However, they uh, didn't take uh, Gleek with them, and I really enjoy Superman's regret about him not going with them to Atlantis. Superman does not want a monkey sit. Maybe he'd feel differently if it was Beppo. I don't know, but he definitely wants no part of Gleek. And, uh, true to form, Gleek will cause some trouble crashing into a uh, statue, basically the uh, holding the scales of justice. And that leads to uh, some snark about Bat from Batman and Robin about Gleek's flying ability. And Gleek is not the uh, aerodynamic uh, genius that he wants everybody to think he is. So here comes the trouble alert with the expositional phone call, alerting the super friends to a horrible monster ravaging Transylvania. You, you know, you would think the Transylvanians would be used to that by now. You would think they'd have moved out of town, you know. So here's the monster. Everybody knows what it is. They know it's Frankenstein's monster. He's lumbering, and yet nobody really runs despite someone yelling, stay out of its way. But no one seems to be able to stay out of its way. It's like it's everywhere at once. And I mentioned he before he walks in a very zombie-like fashion, arms out, plodding steps. You know, you would think people would be safe and able to get away from this thing, you know, just by breaking into a light jog. But they, they're sprinting, they're falling over each other, and people are stupid when they panic. So Batman and Robin go after the Frankenstein monster and are pretty ineffective. And... The villain controls the monster by walkie-talkie, basically giving it its instructions that way. And Batman and Robin are following the monster and having a hard time keeping up, which boggles the mind because it doesn't walk very fast. So how they would lose the monster, I don't know. The reason why they're following the monster is because it's leading them back to the castle. And eventually Batman and Robin do find the castle because the monster led them to it. And led Batman and Robin right into a trap. Now it makes a lot of sense for Batman and Robin to take forefront, at least early on in this Frankenstein episode. One thing I pointed out about the Dracula episode from last season is, despite the fact that, you know, I am a Superman fan first and foremost, and if I had to pick, he'd be my guy, but, but Superman is not very well matched for a Dracula story. Batman and Robin definitely work better in this kind of setting than Superman does. Now remember, Frankenstein is the scientist, not the monster. A lot of people make that misconception. They, they describe Frankenstein as the monster. 
when actually the science who created him is Dr. Frankenstein. So while the hero is posturing, Frankenstein captures Batman and Robin. So the first monster is down, and now Batman and Robin are going to be transformed. So uh, Batman is going to be transformed first, and Robin is put in a cell, and he is uh, freed by a rat. Think about that. The next time you set a rodent trap and take glee in, hearing that sucker get its neck snapped. If you're tied up in a dinky prison, it might be the rat that saves you. Just some food for thought there. You know, for the next time you're locked in a Transylvanian dungeon. So Robin escapes, and the henchman appears to have no idea what he's doing. I appear to have no idea what the henchman's name is, or if if it was even a given. But I didn't pay enough attention to uh, write it down, so there's that. And apparently Robin's escape was all part of the plan. Dr. Frankenstein is thinking two steps ahead of the, the boy wonder. So Robin will call into the Hall of Justice. And Wonder Woman points out, right before they take the call, that it's the Bat Emergency Channel. I wonder if she needed the Bat Emblem on the screen to tell her that the call was coming over the Bat Emergency Channel. So now it's Robin's turn to to deliver some exposition, and Superman and Wonder Woman are on their way, and unfortunately, Gleek has the idea to fly to Transylvania in his junk jet. Which, I wonder if anybody's ever decided to call it that before. His junk jet made out of uh, garbage from a project that somebody was working on. And you can only wonder, as he flies out in his junk jet, exactly what trouble he's going to cause. So, when they get to Transylvania, the rest of the Super Friends are caught as well, so showing up at Transylvania that did nobody any good, at least initially. Batman is still strapped to the gurney, and now Superman and Wonder Woman are getting transformed. But they're not really getting transformed, but what's happening is their powers are being basically sucked out of them and into the Frankenstein monster. So here we go, we got uh, a monster that's pretty much wearing Superman's costume, and Batman's cape and cowl. It's got Superman's costume with the red boots and the sh- and the trunks and the uh, the shirt. Batman's costume was represented by the cape and the cowl, basically, that's about it. And it took me a, a little bit to figure out what part of the costume was Wonder Woman's, but eventually, if you look at Superman's wrists, you eventually do see her bracelets there. So, all three heroes' costumes are represented in some way. It would have been rather amusing if you saw the monster wearing, like, a copy of Wonder Woman's tiara but that doesn't happen no tiara over the bat mask now apparently the transformation took their powers away in order in order for them to get their powers back they have to stop the monster somehow and you know batman has no physical superpowers so the monster took his mental faculties i'm not sure exactly where these mental faculties went they sure did not go into the monster which is acting just as mindless as ever not showing any intelligence at all so it looks like it's going to be up to robin and gleek and with the super monster on the march things are looking pretty grim Actually, things always look pretty grim whenever it's up to Gleek. So Robin is taking the Super Friends to a nuclear power plant because the back computer told them they'd find help here. Because why not? If you're out of ideas, you need to consult with that back computer to tell you what your next move is going to be. I'm assuming that the back computer has a copy of the script in it, so Robin will just read it and move on. So the scientists have to test a machine on the Super Friends that will transfer their remaining abilities to Robin. So we're going to have a super-powered Robin here. He gets some power from the Super Friends, and his voice is deeper, and there goes a flying Robin, just like the bird. It's an interesting sight. And apparently, he claims to have enough power to stop the monster. I'm not sure which of Superman's abilities he has at this point, but Robin says he's ready to stop the monster. And the fight results in a stalemate. Robin flies off to get some kryptonite, and he's wearing a big lead suit covering his entire body, so the kryptonite does not affect him. Because when Robin takes on Superman's abilities, he also inherits Superman's weakness, which is kryptonite. But not with a big armored lead suit on. So Robin beats the monster that way, and the remaining Super Friends capture Frankenstein, and the Super Friends are restored. And Gleek even helps a little too by wrapping his tail around Frankenstein's neck to make sure that he's caught. And for the ending, Robin laments losing superpowers, and Gleek flies his junk plane over the, the Sphinx in Egypt. So, 
that's pretty much that for this episode. It's a pretty, a pretty uh, run-of-the-mill episode when you really think about it. Nothing really that special about it. You know, it's a decent, like I said, Halloween-time episode. And, you know, if you treat it as such, it's pretty good. You know, it's got the adventure you want, and it's a little spooky. Just what you want for your Halloween holiday. I don't know if you want that a few days later on November 3rd, but you definitely want it in the lead-up to Halloween. So, with that being said, I'm going to close up my coverage on the penultimate episode of the fall 1979 season. And when I come back, I'm going to finish up the season with The Planet of Oz. Hang around, folks. Can you believe it, Jay? Young Justice is back! The Cartoon Network show from five years ago? Uh, no, yeah, uh, that too. I, I, I mean the comic book. Oh, cool, a comic book based off the Cartoon Network show? No, yeah, I mean that too, but but not oh, that. the 1998 Peter David run. No, yeah, uh, kinda, I mean... Oh, this is gonna get confusing. Wait, 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 wait. Are you trying to say that there's a brand new comic book series written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Patrick Gleason, along with a new season of the animated show on the DC Universe streaming app, and a digital first comic that fills in the gaps between seasons two and three? Yes. I mean, yes. Sounds like we need a podcast to keep all this straight. (laughs) That's what I've been trying to say. Well, say it. The new podcast, Everyone Loves Young Justice, will spin out of Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake as a sister podcast, following the adventures of Tim Drake and his new team, Young Justice, with members like Superboy, Impulse, Wonder Girl, Arrowette, a Red Tornado, the Justice Cave, Miss Martian, Blue Beetle, Shazam, the Super Cycle, Ginny Hex, Teen Lantern, Jay, Jay, what? <laughs> One thing at a time, man. Oh, th- sorry. We will start right where it all began in the pages of the 1998 Peter David run. And we will alternate between that and the new Brian Michael Bendis 2019 run. While also discussing the DC Universe animated series and tie-in comics. We are part of the BatmanUniverse.net podcast network. We can be found there or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're going to cover all aspects of Young Justice. Man, I love Young Justice. I know. Everyone does. Oh, I get it. (sighs) All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to wrap this up with The Planet of Oz. Original broadcast date was November 10th, 1979. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A tornado hits the Hall of Justice in Metropolis, taking it to a planet like the Land of Oz. Superman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman find Mr. Mixias Pitalik, or as Super Friends calls him, Mixoplik, is responsible. Come on, we'd better take a look outside. Great Scott! Where on Earth are we? Who said anything about being on Earth, Aqua Dummy? Oh no, it's Mixelblick. That's right, Superman! I've escaped from the fifth dimension again! <laughs> We've got to trick him into saying his name backwards in order to get him back into his fifth dimension. <laughs> Shame on you, plotting against me! Where are we, Mixelblick? And what do you want with us this time? What's the matter with you, Superdun? Don't you read the classics? You're in the land of Oz, and all you have to do to get out is find the wizard. (laughs) The wizard, the wizard. (laughs) And just how are we supposed to do that? Why, that's obvious, Wonder Wimp. Just follow the yellow brick road. (laughs) So long, Superstar. 
That sinister imp has got us in a real fix this time. We've got no choice but to do what he says. Come on. Along the way, they run from a carnivorous plant to a witch. <laughs> Welcome! Who are you? I'm the wicked witch of the worst kind. <laughs> and I'm so glad you could come for dinner. I don't mean to be impolite, but we haven't come to eat dinner. Who said anything about you eating dinner? You're going to be dinner. <laughs> Which changes them into the Tin Man, Superman, Lion, Wonder Woman, and Scarecrow, Aquaman, before showing she is really Mr. Mixiest Pitalik. Next, they face hazards. Aquaman must waterproof his straw body to prevent drowning. Wonder Woman's lasso is magnetized. And Superman saves himself by using heat vision to change the tin into lead. When they finally find the wizard, it is Mr. Mixiest Pitalik again. There's no time for sightseeing. We've got to find the wizard. Stop! Who is foolish enough to summon the Wizard of Oz? The Super Friends. We were told you could help us get out of this strange world. And who told you that? <laughs> A cosmic criminal from the fifth dimension by the name of Mixelplick. Well, he lied to you. There's no way out of Oz. Why won't you help us? I thought you were a good wizard. Wrong, Super Saphead! <laughs> like you said, I'm nothing but a cosmic criminal! Yippee-toy-yo! <laughs> and, thanks to the three of you, I've solved the riddle of how to remain in the physical universe forever, always, and for good! <laughs> We're as good as new. I'm afraid not, Aqua Squirt. You're as good as gone. You see, with the help of your foolish fish friends, you turned this ordinary straw into water-resistant, gracious oxide. And you, Wonder Woman, did me the favor of electrifying your magic lasso, transforming it into electro-lasso-oseus. And last but not least, Superman used his heat vision to change this tin suit into crypto ladonium. What good will that pile of junk do you, Mixelplick? You'll soon find out, Super Stoop. Voila! You're crazy, Mixelplick. That cosmic concoction won't help you. That's what you think, Super Simpleton. Once I drink this down, you'll never be able to send me back to the fifth dimension. I have done it! <laughs> Congratulations to me! Great, Hera. Now he'll be able to haunt us with his fifth dimensional hijinks forever. That's right, Wonder Washout. I'm invulnerable now! If that's true, then why don't you say your name backwards and prove it to us? Ha! I don't have to prove anything to you, super freaks. I think you're full of hot air, Mixelplick. You're not smart enough to do anything that clever. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll show you, smarty pants. Watch this. Simple skim. Hey, what's going on? I'm fading away. That's right, Mixelplick. We figured out your little scheme hours ago. So I changed my crypto lednium suit back into tin. You drank the wrong formula. Oh, that's no fair, Super Fink. You tricked me. You're nothing but a super spoiled sport. You'll never get away with this. Oh, oh, oh. All right. First order of business. 
This episode will bring back our favorite imp from the fifth dimension. Again, this show will continue to call him Mr. Mixoplick. The proper pronunciation is Mr. Mixias Pitalik. I am going to continue to call him Mr. Mixias Pitalik, just so that I don't fall into bad habits. If Alex Ross or any other super friend aficionado wants to correct me, they know where to find me. But while I acknowledge that the show calls him Mixoplick, I'm going to use the true pronunciation, Mixias Pitalik. So, there. And as this story starts, you can't get any more on the nose with a story called The Planet of Oz than with a, with a tornado threatening Batman. And one of the things that jumped out at me right off the bat is, you would think that with Batman investigating, the tornado would be threatening Gotham, but it's after Metropolis. Now, I talked about in the first episode in which I covered the challenge of the Super Friends that there were rights issues involving certain Batman villains, while Hanna-Barbera was able to get the rights to Batman and Robin, as far as animation goes. There were other Batman characters in which most of the villains they were not able to secure the animation rights to. That's why you really only saw the Riddler in the Legion of Doom and not the Joker. So I wonder if other Batman-related things like Gotham City was something that was not available to Hanna-Barbera for uh, this incarnation of the Super Friends. I do believe back in the beginning, in the op- in the initial season in 1973, Wendy and Marvin lived in Gotham, but maybe Hanna-Barbera lost Gotham City when Filmation secured animation rights for most of the Batman-related concepts. So now this tornado is, is happening, and Superman is standing at the Hall of Justice on the computer, and then we're going to get even more on the nose as the Hall of Justice is scooped up in much the same way as Dorothy's house is in The Wizard of Oz. For those of you who have seen the 1938 film, it is definitely very... The way the hall spins and flies away in the tornado was very reminiscent of what we saw in The Wizard of Oz, for those of us who have seen it. And honestly, if you haven't seen or read The Wizard of Oz, you you are probably familiar enough with the concept and the Yellow Brick Road and the things and the, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion that I'm not going to go through the Wizard of Oz story for you here. So when they land, they can't reach Batman, and they go and find them. They're not on Earth anymore, and this is when Mixius Pillig shows up. Superman gives Wonder Woman the lowdown about Mixius saying his name backwards, and basically the purpose, I'm sure Wonder Woman knows this, the purpose of that is to remind the uh, the viewers of what has to be done in order to get rid of this guy. This is not a villain that the Super Friends can punch out, which they don't really punch out anything in this cartoon anyway, but this is not a villain they can fight on a physical level. This is a villain they have to fight with their minds. So basically, Mixie has put them in the Wizard of Oz, and the story is public domain, so anyone can use it without permission. So the Super Friends are going to have to play out the Wizard of Oz story, and here they are, following the Yellow Brick Road. Mixie has Pitalik has kept Superman from flying off by making his feet stick to the bricks. They all go into a gingerbread house when they're running from a Venus flytrap, and it's a very large Venus flytrap, and it's blocking their way, which causes them to, to divert into the woods, and I think it's Superman who points out the gingerbread house. So here's a cauldron in the house, and... I guess this, this witch is supposed to be some analog for the Wicked Witch of the West, but instead she calls herself the Wicked Witch of the Worst Kind. I wonder if Wicked Witch of the West is trademarked. And her immediate plan is to turn the Super Friends into dinner. And she's also got some uh, flying brooms that remind me of the Disney film Fantasia. So, while she's going to initially turn Superman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman into soup, Superman is able to get them out of the cauldron with his strength, and here's where we get quite a change as... They've been turned into the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion. Aquaman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, respectively. So, at some point, it finally dawned on them, after discussing how horrible actors are in the early part of their decade. So, and it's finally dawned on them to kind of play along with Mixius Pitalik's game here. Now, apparently there was no Dorothy in this, but you don't really need one, so... Here are some crows in the trees, and I'm guessing they're supposed to be 
a substitute for the flying monkeys in the Wizard of Oz movie, and the crows have taken Aquaman, so apparently they are not afraid of his version of the Scarecrow. He certainly cannot scare a crow. And apparently it didn't dawn on, ba- on Aquaman until after he fell in the water that the straw would get heavy. So, here's where the cartoon asks us a very important question. Can Aquaman talk to the fish of Oz? The answer is, yes he can. And his ability to talk to the jellyfish from Oz gets him rescued from gets him rescued by a jellyfish. Brainless creature must be easy to control. So now Mixie is talking to a magic mirror, which apparently talks back to him. Mirror, mirror on the wall! It isn't you. Next to Wonder Woman, you're number two. (laughs) Wonder Woman leaves the road to chase Aquaman, but she is sucked into an underground swamp, and she's still running trying to find a way out of her situation, and pretty much nothing is safe. And since this world is is mixing as Piddle is doing, the deck is clearly stacked in front of our three super friends. Now she is cornered by some wild boar, and and she electrocutes the boards with her dialogue. But from when you listen to the dialogue, it seems as though Mixie doesn't want them to fail. It seems that there are certain things that are happening that are happening according to his plan. At least, he seems to think so. Now we move on to Superman, who is caught in the rain, and he's rusting as the road turns into green kryptonite. And this will give Mixie's pit like a chance to kind of show up and torment Superman and do some both thing. But Superman escapes the kryptonite because apparently intense heat can turn tin into lead. Who knew? I certainly didn't. Did you? So, they all had to alter themselves or something about them, or something in their possession, a little bit to get away from Mixie's Pitilic's trap. And, uh, you know, just looking at the animation, Superman, as he appearing as the Tin Man, really looks a lot like an early version of Steel, the post-crisis character who became the protector of Washington, D.C., the quote-unquote Man of Steel. Now, Superman tries to trick Mixie's Pitilic into saying his name backwards, but the imp figures it out immediately before saying it. So now, the Super Friends are captured and put into a giant hourglass by a bunch of tiny robed creatures who, to me, look a lot like Jawas from Star Wars. So the Super Friends go down the hourglass and are now facing some kind of sand serpent, because what fantasy world would be complete without a sand serpent? And then after they escape the the hourglass, uh, another tornado takes them, takes the Super Friends to the Emerald City, or just outside of it. And it's not really the Emerald City, it's uh, just a kind of a city with much, very gray city, not a lot of color to it. I wonder if other if other concepts like the Wicked Witch of the West, not so much Yellow Brick Road, but the Emerald City are things that are trademarked that had not lapsed other than uh, you know, the story itself. So they find a huge door and a huge key, and it takes the combined skills of Wonder Woman and Superman to open it up. So they find the Wizard of Oz, who is a giant, which was something they surmised by the giant door at way out in front. They come here seeking his help, and he's laughing and basically saying he can't help them, because he morphs into Mixius Pitalik. Of course he did. So, apparently they played right into Mixius Pitalik's hands as he uses the waterproof straw, the electric lasso, and lead suit to make some kind of potion that will keep him from having to go back to the fifth dimension. Only one problem, it doesn't work. Superman dares Mixius Pitalik to say his name backwards to see if it works. It does, and Mixius Pitalik is sent home. So, apparently the show has done something that I really hate. It's going to reveal that somehow, somewhere off-screen, the Super Friends realized what Mixith Pitalik was up to and decided to flip the script on him. The Super Friends didn't actually do what everyone thought they did, and they didn't do what the show told us they did. It just, it's almost insulting to the viewer. It tells them that everything you saw was wrong, basically because we ran out of time. I would have liked to have seen some early clue that the Super Friends were on to Mixith Pitalik. But they fool him, which is always fun. It's always fun seeing the heroes fool Mr. Mixith Pitalik. I just would have liked to have seen 
I would have liked to have known that they were onto him. Obviously, we as the viewers are onto him, but it's always nice to see to see the heroes figure it out before you do. But it doesn't always happen that way. Alas, Mixie Espinalik is gone, and everything around them ter- returns to normal. And when they get home, they tell the others where they've been. Superman makes a comment that they went over the rainbow. How nice, how quaint. And that concludes my coverage of the fall 1979 season. Next time, I'll begin my coverage of the 1980 Super Friends shorts, and I'll talk about the format that that's going to have going forward on next week's show. In the meantime, you can send feedback to the show at manascreen at gmail.com. Feedback's always welcome. You can email the host of this show. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, you can put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed, and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So until next time, folks, remember, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.